All right. Hello and welcome Look to Just Animals I'm Podcast. Frozen. I'm Elle and with me as always is my dad, aka Guy. Hi there, pod world. Uh, I'll be jumping off here in a bit, but um, I'll be coming back. So Okay, great. Anyways, okay, anyways. Nice, to, nice to see you all. Okay. Nice to and see Sam. Finally back with us after she went MIA, uh, Sam, the zookeeper. Yeah, that's right. Wave yes, and just I'm smile. Like, finally. Sorry. It's fine. And back for <laughs> and round two, Ben Pearson from World Animal Protection um, Agency. I'm so sorry. I just forgot. <laughs> totally blanked on it uh world animal protection australia we're so happy to have him back and educate us on yet another uh atrocity in the animal world that is going that is taking place currently i guess yeah i'd I'd call it an atrocity um yeah okay perfect so yes we're so happy to have ben back thank you so much for coming back ben why don't you um just for maybe our listeners that don't know you or haven't heard you on our other episodes just give them a real brief recap of who you are and what you do real quick Great. Thank you. Uh, yep. Ben Pearson. Uh, love being back on the pod. Uh, I'm the head of campaigns for World Animal Protection in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we run a whole bunch of campaigns on behalf of animals, uh, from farmed animals all the way through to animals in the wild, companion animals and the like. And, you know, I stress when I say we run them for animals, we are very big proponents of uh, the, the undeniable reality that uh, we know that this planet and the humans who live on it also cannot be healthy unless animals are also healthy. So to say that we are just an animal welfare organization, I think misses that bigger picture that, uh, you know, welfare of animals is connected to welfare of humans and welfare of the planet. The campaigns that we run are really centered on that reality. Beautiful. Okay. So today we're actually going to be targeting the fashion industry, which is probably one of my most favorite industries to go after just because it's just such a ridiculous industry as is. And more specifically, the croc skin trade. And it was so funny when uh, Fran emailed me about this, Ben, I was looking, you know, looking at shoes online and there are so many shoes that said, um, you know, like $300 or whatever. And it said croc skin, but in parentheses, it had, you know, like fake croc skin. And to be completely honest, like had they not told said fake croc skin you you could not tell that it wasn't real skin i mean maybe someone who's worked with skins their whole life could tell um but just based off the off the picture it's just like uh it's stamped leather okay great thank you stamped leather but yeah i mean it it, you could you could fool probably 99 percent of the population with like the fake the fake leather but yeah so why don't you go ahead um no it's real leather but it's okay it's fake it's not actual crocodile skin okay it's got Thank you. It's, thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Crocodile cold, stamped leather. God. That's right. Okay. Anyways, sorry, Ben. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and explain a little bit what's going on with the fashion industry and croc skins and whatnot. Give us a little brief sure. background well, on that. Tell you, let me tell you why we uh, decided to intervene in the uh, saltwater yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In industry in particular. Um, it's something I think most people don't know. And in fact, we're pretty sure they don't because we've done some polling on this, that uh, 60% of the saltwater salt crocodile skins provided to the world market come from Australia. And of oh, those, wow. uh, 66% actually come from the Northern Territory. That's right. So we are really the epicenter of this industry. Uh, we provide those skins to these big luxury uh, fashion houses like Hermes, Louis Vuitton, and they turn them into handbags. Uh, it takes about four of these crocodiles be clear four two meter long crocodiles to make a handbag with some other stuff as well it's just utterly grotesque absolutely grotesque last year what we found out is that uh, while the rest of the fashion industry is starting to move away from the use of exotic skins we're seeing good movement on that front and and even Hermes is starting to develop a, a mushroom 
based handbag. Despite that, uh, in Australia, Hermes got approval from the Northern Territory government to open a massive new farm that will hold up to 50,000 crocodiles. Uh, obviously, we're trying to stop that, but it will hold up to 50,000 crocodiles. And that's a huge expansion of the industry. Um, and to give you an idea what that means for the crocodiles, you know, in the wild, a crocodile lives for about 70 years. And generally, most people's perception of a crocodile is, look, they're big, they're scary, they're ugly, they'll eat you given half a chance. A lot of that's true. Uh, I've been up to uh, the Arms <laughs> recently uh, on one of those fantastic river tours. And, yeah, I think it was pretty clear those crocodiles would have happily eaten me given half a chance. Uh, I, I would like to think that would have been a nice meal. But in the in these terrible farms, they don't even get that, that the chance to live more than a few years uh, after that. You know, and, and to be clear, when I say live, uh, they have right. a pretty barren, horrible existence, right? I mean, these, these are sentient right. beings, you know. In the wild, they look after their eggs. We've seen evidence that they play, you know, that they, they oh, feel, really? feel pain. But a crocodile farm, yep. On a crocodile farm, you don't get that. Uh, in the photographs we've seen of some of them, you know, these animals are kept in plastic lined pens. Why? Because, of course, the most valuable part of them is the belly skin, so they're protecting that. So they sit there with all these other crocodiles for a couple of years. Then they stick them into these individual pens, which are about the size of themselves. They're there for about six to eight months, and then they're slaughtered. Now, the slaughter method is just is just horrific. So the first thing that happens is, right, at this stage they're two metres long and they're pretty dangerous. First thing that happens is they're electrocuted. Big, stunning wand, electrocute the animal, immobilises for a while. The back of the neck is cut, you know, the nape there. Okay, because this animal has a big, heavy skull. It's pretty hard to get at the brain. So the back of the neck is cut. And then a steel rod is inserted into that cut and the brain is destroyed. And we have seen footage of this process. And I have to say, it's some of the most appalling footage I've seen of animal mistreatment. It really is just horrific. The footage we've seen shows an animal having a steel rod jammed into this, this cut. Its brain is being destroyed. Its tail is moving. Now, the industry will say to you, that's just sort of nerves. It's just their physiology, which means they still move even after they're long dead. I don't know. You, you see that no, footage. I... It's pretty clear that's not the case. So that's what they do just for a handbag. And that for us is really the key thing here. I mean, as you say, we're not talking about something that has any real utility. I mean, it's a handbag. Why on earth would you subject thousands of of sentient living animals for that horror, both the horror of their life and the horror of their death, just to make a handbag with a porn. And when we talk about this campaign, we're really clear, like, come on, people, we know that we need to reimagine our relationship with wild animals and the habitats in which they live. And if we can't even agree that treating an animal that badly and killing it that brutally just to make a handbag, if we can't even agree that that is wrong, what can we agree with? So it's a good starting place to start yeah. saying, no, we need a new deal for animals, <clears throat> we need a new way of living with them and a new way of protecting them and their habitats. Right. And and not to Absolutely. detract from this, do, do you think maybe part of the problem, like just in general, like with getting people on board with animals like, you know, alligators, crocodiles, because like uh, when Hurricane Katrina came, we have my husband's uh, high school friend actually owns an alligator ranch in uh, Louisiana and what they do they're actually helping the population recover because when Hurricane Katrina came, all those eggs were just drowned. And so when they hatched, they couldn't go anywhere. And so they actually go into the wild to retrieve the eggs, which sounds like stealing, but the state actually monitors and they have to account for every alligator that they have. Um, they will raise them till they're big enough to go into the wild. And then they the state comes in and then releases them in various swamps and bayous around Louisiana. But, but 
every single one of them is accounted for. And if one of those goes missing, you know, there's a real, they're going to, they're going to have a really big problem. But, um, is it maybe harder to get people on board with this because people think, you know, crocodile, alligator, whatever, oh, this big man-eating giant dinosaur lizard, like, eh, it's not cute like a platypus or a kangaroo. So is it, have you ever run into that difficulty with people caring about the not so cute upfront animals? Completely. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're animal lovers. We get it. Uh, we have found, right. unfortunately, that when we put, you know, uh, some content up on social media, yeah, we get people saying, come on, they're just a croc. I was at a, um, a gathering recently before the current lockdown. And even a friend of mine said, Ben, come on, what, what are we talking about here? They're crocodiles. And it's like, well, hang on, they're living animals. That's, that's not the point. And what are we really suggesting we're going to do here? Take the animal kingdom and say, okay, you're ugly, so we can make you into a handbag. You've got big, cute <laughs> eyes, so we'll look after you. Well, I mean, obviously, that's just a, a repugnant, morally repugnant way to approach this. Uh, and of course, you know, we don't even look after the ones with cute eyes very well, you know, right. as well. <laughs> you know, that's right. So in this case, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but in a way, that difficulty is one of the things which made us think, yeah, we really want to do this campaign because we need to start sure. talking about this. We need to start saying, hey, you know, we, we can't just have all of the animal welfare and, you know, environment protection organizations all focusing on the cute animals. You know, we need to also say even the ugly ones need to be protected and not just the crocodiles, the sticky insects, you know, the snakes, all the rest of it. They suffer. Uh, if you treat them badly, they will suffer. And why should they? And so we need to treat right. them well. Absolutely. Now, me personally, I've always kind of found alligators and crocodiles to be kind of cute, but that could just be me. Um, but I can only imagine like just the hurdles you have to overcome one because, again, it's like it's a stupid alligator, it's a stupid crocodile, it's a stupid snake, like mm, don't care. Um, and then I was actually looking at some of the that um, friends sent me uh, some, of the, some literature and I was seeing that they mark up those bags like a thousand percent from what they would go just locally in Australia. So like a regular crocodile person in Australia would be like two grand Australian. So it's like what, 1800 US dollars roughly. And then they go and, you know, once it's got the Hermes or Louis Vuitton stamp on it, it's now 300 grand. And it's just like, you're literally just doing this for profit at this point. It's not to be like, oh, it's a rare croc skin because allegedly you've got thousands of them. But it's just you're I mean, you're just making ridiculous amounts of money. They should either be paying you guys more for them since they're making that much money off, off of them, at least. I mean, animal welfare aside, which, of course, is what this is about. But the, the profit margin is insane and is also disgusting, equally disgusting, in my opinion. <laughs> Look, I think that's right. And, and, you know, we need to be clear that the, the handbags we're talking about here are like the equivalent of a house deposit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, 300 and grand. Like absolutely. Yeah, we're not, and we're not talking about a bag. It's like, you know, you're not going to go into Walmart and kind of find them down the back of aisle five or anything. You're talking about bags where people are making a request of Hermes and Louis Vuitton and they're being made. And in some cases, we're pretty sure that those bags are never being taken out because, frankly, you know, no one's going to go down to the 7-Eleven holding a $300,000 handbag. So it's like a state uh, no. symbol. And that in itself is, to be honest, a bit sick. I mean, what, what, uh, why yeah. would a state symbol be for dead crocodiles? You know, it just it makes no sense right. to us. It's exactly right. the kind of mindset that we really need to shift. Yeah, I mean, that's that's such a great point because it's just like, hey, look at my dead crocodile purse that I don't use and don't take anywhere and just sits in my closet in this plexiglass case. Like, isn't this great? Like, only the maid sees it when she comes in here to clean and only I see it when I come to get my clothes out. Like, I'm that's special. Right. Oh, but I, God. Uh, you can tell people about it. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's 
like first. So we really first. part of what we want to do, yeah. you know, moving forward in this campaign, is is talk to some of these influencers and say, come on, guys, let's let's not do this. You know, remember a previous generation used to think it was okay to wear fur. You know, you would right. walk in the street and there would be wealthy, you know, people with sort of you know mink straight over their backs and foxes. And I don't know if you remember this, but in some cases, it was a bit of a status symbol to actually have the animal's kind of head. I mean, I assume it was right, right on yeah, the animal absolutely. so you could identify what it was. And then we pretty quickly realized, thanks to the uh, efforts of some really excellent organizations like PETA, that, that that's just disgusting. I mean, that really is pretty poor. Uh, and what we're hoping is that we're going to see that mindset shift around the use of, say, crocodile skins and snake and stuff like that, because that, that really needs to happen. Absolutely. And then I was, what I was reading further, it's like, you know, they're pretty solitary creatures. So then to put them in this farm, so to speak, where they're just on top of each other, I mean, that already has to make them miserable because it's already completely unnatural for them. So um, basically the conclusion I drew was that these farms, quote unquote, it's not like, you know, oh, it's just a happy crocodile farm. It's just the crocodile concentration camp where it's like, okay, you're on top of each other. And then we're going to put you in this, you know, plastic container and then we're gonna kind of kill you but not really and yeah thanks for being a purse i think you can you can safely assume that a crocodile on a crocodile farm does not have a single day of its life that is actually worth living not a single day you're absolutely right we we went to darwin recently just last april to check it out and uh, of course we couldn't get onto the farms but we could get onto some of the tourism venues uh, which are linked to the farms and so we went to one and, and we were just astonished. It was we, we were standing there, and we could see this guy, this staff member, pulling this uh, little juvenile croc, maybe about a year, about a meter long, just happily taping up its mouth with sticky tape. And in fact, the photograph is on the front page of our report with the gaffer tape. Sorry. So he takes it up, tapes that up, brings it out, and then starts handing it around to all the punters so people can hold it and take a photo with it, and you know, do the whole kind of thing people do. And you know, he's just sort of moving this animal around, and you're thinking, okay, this animal must be in enormous distress here. You know, because it's, it's a small animal, it's probably terrified, it's stressful to be handled like this. And we asked him, so what happens to this one? You know, to a crocodile like this when it grows too big? He said, oh, you know, it depends. Sometimes we'll, we'll give them to the farms and they'll then use them. So thinking again, the short life that animal will have will be one of stress, terror, you know, degradation. It's just atrocious. And at the end of it all, that brutal death that we described. So it really is just impossible to justify. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'd be a hypocrite to not acknowledge this. I eat meat, Sam eats meat, but I do personally go out of my way to make sure it's like, you know, free range eggs or, you know, this is like ethically sourced and they don't just torture the animal or whatever. I mean, even here, it's like we've got very strict standards on like, you know, our cattle for getting steaks and whatnot. So I just, I can't imagine why they can't just do that with the crocodile. I mean, if you're going to kill it, can you at least just kill it and just have it be done? Like, do you have to drag out the process? I mean, it's just it just blows my mind. And then I was reading too that they've what they bought more land, or they're trying to they have this deal trying to go through to get more land to have an even bigger farm. So they bought uh, an old melon farm uh, just out of Darwin, and that's where they put this new farm. And we went and checked that out as well. Uh, we popped out there and had a look and took some photos. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're, they're beginning construction. So what they need now, though is uh, these crocodiles are actually listed under the uh, Convention on the International Trade in Endangered Species CITES. So our environment minister, our federal environment minister, needs to give them an export permit. That's required. Now, we are uh, advocating to her, and we've got a petition running targeting her as well, that she shouldn't grant the export permit. Uh, she shouldn't do it. I mean, 
one of the points that we're making very strongly is that um, crocodile welfare in Australia on the farms is governed by a code, a code of practice. So if you go and have a look at this code of practice, the first thing you notice is it was adopted in 2009. It says in the code itself, we're going to have to review this after five years and we think it should be reviewed and updated after 10. Well, okay, we're 12 years later. There's absolutely no plans to update that code or to review it. Uh, no one's oh. talking about doing that. So we're not only talking about the fact that how brutal this is, but their own code of practice, you know, their own kind of piece of ledger, document that's meant to say, oh, look, you know, we've got a code of practice to ensure things are okay. It's just completely out of date. We, we dug into some of the supporting documentation around that code. You know, they've got papers in there from the 90s. You know, they've got stuff in there from the early 2000s. And remember, they've got stuff in there from times when, you know, frankly, uh, reptile sentience wasn't really accepted. Animal sentience wasn't particularly accepted. So it's really right. poor. You know, it's a very outdated code of practice. And you feel like we really need to put it back on the industry. Like, come on, guys. Like, at the very least, if you're going to tell us that you're treating these animals humanely, you could at least have a code of practice, which by its own admission is out of date, at least had a code of practice that is up to date and get on with it. Now, to her credit, the Australian Environment Minister, we understand, is starting to ask some of the key governments and stakeholders to update that code of practice and to get going on that. But that at the bare minimum should be done before she starts granting export permits to, to send the skins off. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because you look, right, but if, if you think about it, I'm sure you guys have similar practices here with like sheep and cattle and whatever. It's like they have, each individual animal has to have a minimum amount of space. So why isn't that at least applying to these crocodiles? I mean, which I'm assuming it's, it, there isn't a space requirement for each individual I, I or is that, there. Just, I mean, that's, I, on one level, that I get that point. But to be clear, I think, Really, the issue here is that, you know, you just can't farm wild animals right. in a way that is because they're wild animals. I mean, you know, we're not talking right. about a domesticated species, and that's a real difference here. Like the point you made before yeah. about the crocodiles and the way they behave in the wild is absolutely spot on. In the wild, there is no way you would have a bunch of these crocodiles all sitting in a small pen next to each other. And the industry is open. They fight and there's issues around, you know, of course, the industry's concern is that they'll cause damage to the belly skin, which is the most valuable part of them. But the point is, farming wild animals like this, you just cannot do it humanely. They are wild animals. If you deny them a wild life, that in itself is inherently cruel. And there's nothing you can do to mitigate that cruelty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's either. Thank you for bringing that point up, too, is that they're not domesticated animals. They're, they're not farm animals, <laughs> no, <laughs> which I, right. I, I think is a big like, oh, you know, that for me, that kind of like flicks on a light bulb like this is not a farm animal. It's like, oh, correct. Actually, so then what is it doing on this quote unquote farm when it's not a farm animal, an animal that obviously cannot, you know, withstand these conditions when did you guys first become aware of this um or or these uh Ale no, Ale i'm sorry sorry these crocodile Corridors. farms and then they can yeah sorry. different continent different country so um <laughs> yeah how did you guys was there someone there one day and were like hey what's in that you've got these bins stacked on top of each other and it's just these crocodiles in these bins or um how did you guys discover this so honestly um uh, the middle of last year uh, there were media reports about the fact that MS had got uh, approval for this new farm. And we thought, well, that's that's not good because obviously we are running a campaign to end wildlife trading completely. Uh, and I'd like right. to talk more about that, but just to go back to your question. Um, so we saw these media reports. We had a look at it. I'll be completely honest. I was not aware of the extent of the crocodile farming industry in Australia. 
when we became aware and we'd educated ourselves about that, we were pretty appalled. Uh, and the fact that we were going to expand it, uh, we thought, well, we can't stand by and watch this happen. And so we decided that we would run this campaign. And I think what's important here also to understand, to bring in a new aspect of this issue is, you know, we know that the misuse and abuse of wildlife is uh, one of the ways in which we get, you know, zoonotic disease spillovers to humans. And we know that it's this kind of high risk activity that leads to, has led the previous disease outbreak, zoonotic disease outbreak, uh, is probably the cause of the current one. And certainly in the future will happen. If we continue to abuse, exploit, commodify and mistreat wild animals and destroy their habitat, we will continue to have new diseases emerging. And future ones might be worse than this one. Right, we need to be clear on that. Now, a crocodile. Okay, we're not talking about diseases from crocodiles that have that kind of pandemic potential like a coronavirus or an influenza outbreak. We don't. You can get salmonella if you were eating crocodile meat and you didn't prepare it properly. But by allowing it to happen and by the governments endorsing its expansion, what they're essentially saying is wild animal farming is okay. And when you do that, you validate wild animal farming in general. And you essentially right. say, yeah, we think that's acceptable to treat wild animals like that. And then other wild animal farming, other species that do have a potential to then lead to the you know, evolution of diseases with pandemic risk, that's also valid. And so that's why this okay. is so important. Any government, any government that really is serious about stopping the next pandemic needs to be saying very clearly, we need to not only stop wildlife farming, but we need to stop wildlife trading. It just needs to stop. Wild animals should be in the wild. They should be in habitats, which we make sure are healthy and intact. And we basically need to practice social distancing with them in the same way that right. we do from each other. You know, crocodiles right, aren't handbags, minks aren't scarves, uh, and frankly, pangolins should not be made into soup or medicine. It's just, it's just incredibly cruel and it's also Ugh, just very, very dangerous. You know, I started by talking about this one health approach and ending the wildlife trade is essential for anyone who believes in the, the, the reality of One Health. If we continue to abuse wild animals, we make it more and more likely that we also will become sick. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, it's just, it's well, what's crazy too is, I mean, the legal wildlife animal trade is already so prolific. I mean, Sam can attest to this. They had, um, Sam, tell me about the, the, your turn your pets in day at your zoo. Hey, oh, every year I worked at a oh, zoo yeah. um, in Florida and every year we had a special day where um, people could bring their pets, their exotic animals that they've exotic, gotten somewhere because of course they, it's Florida. Yeah. Exotic animals um, and they could come bring them in and turn them into us and with no questions asked. We didn't even ask their names or anything. Um, and they could just turn them into us and we would take care of them. And I mean, I mean, and that's not kill them or anything. I mean, like find them homes, like real, like homes that would take care of them. So for real. Yeah. That knew what they were doing. So yeah, so, it's a big business. And you know, it's, those it's are disgusting, all, disgustingly right. big business. The, the animal trade, wild animal trade. It's gross. And those were probably what? 99% illegal animal wildlife trade. Is that how, <laughs> where those people probably got these animals? Yeah. So right. that's fascinating. We spoke oh. to a zoo here in Australia, yeah. which had a similar experience. Um, there were amnesties and people would just come and hand in these wild animals. We we did a report on using wild animals as pets, exotic pets. Um, and what we found, which was really disturbing, is that people really just don't do any research. 
So they have no idea no. what these animals want. You think, okay, so they kind of think that maybe the bird they get is just like any other yeah. bird, like a budgie. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we focused on this African grey parrot. And oh. what people don't realise is, you know, the African grey parrot, it's a beautiful bird. And you can see some people would say, oh, I'd really like to own this animal. Okay, so what they don't know is, firstly, how cruel that is, because in the wild, African grey parrots mate for life. And they live in these big family groups and they, they fly around together. So the idea that you take one and stick it in a cage is just horrendously cruel. But then building on that, they live for 100 years. So it's all yeah. very well for you to buy an African grey parrot for a pet. Okay, yes. but you're going to essentially have that in your family now for a very, very long period of time. And you're probably not aware of that. You know, you get people, and I'm sure you, you have had this experience as well, who buy these exotic animals and just have no idea what to do with them, no idea how to care for them. Uh, and have no idea about the reality of owning them. Yeah. And then eventually, yes, you know, they when they can, they hand them over to you. It's just absurd. It's, it's something that yeah. really needs to stop. We got things stop. like really um, sloths. We got sloths. Yeah. yeah, a sloth. Yeah, a sloth. It's, it's disgusting. We got yeah, all kinds of animals. Was it wasn't too. just like, yeah, sloth. We got a, we got a sloth. Um, we got all kinds of, of course, exotic birds that way. You guys um, alligators. People toucan, would, right? Take alligators out, little baby alligators out of the wild, and keep them in their bathtubs, and then they'd be like, "Oh, I can't keep this in the yeah, bathtub anymore. I got it." So it was just so stupid. People are just so stupid, and yeah, and the sloth people totally did not do any uh, research, and it's so. So heartbreaking in the in the age of Google and the internet and what you can find out just just the information you can find to actually you know at least do something to take care of these animals even though you should even have them, but yeah people just don't care. That sloth was kept in a closet and he, and he um uh, he came in and has nails. He somehow ate a bunch of nails and has nails stuck in his stomach forever. So like people kept him in a closet. Like he was not healthy when we got him. So it, it was it's, it's heartbreaking. God. I know it's heartbreaking, yeah, but we also, we did have, I did take care of crocodiles, not, not the, um, different species, our American crocodiles. Um, we had two of them. We had a mating pair and I always used to, when we did our keeper chats, I always did try to say something about the stupid fashion industry because it was huge. We did alligator talk and then we took, did crocodiles and, um, we always tried to say something about, um, how horrible the fashion industry to these, are these, to these reptiles and everything so i you know probably didn't sink in with anybody over here but you know i tried i tried my best <laughs> so even though australia eagles are clearly like the main exporter of croc skin do you still have to worry about like illegal wildlife trade too even with croc skins like people just coming in and just you know all of a sudden them disappearing or them taking them up to southeast asia or you know yeah is that a problem too? We haven't too? really seen evidence of a, much of an illegal trade. Okay. We, have, we haven't seen evidence of that. We haven't, haven't done much investigation. I don't know. We haven't seen much evidence of that. I think the, the issue here is really the legal trade. And, you know, I know generally when we talk about wildlife trading, people do focus on the illegal trade a lot, but, you know, the legal trade is massive and we really need to focus on that. And we need to make it clear that there are a lot of governments and a lot of you know, international bodies like CITES, which are essentially saying, yes, it's okay to trade wild animals. And we really need to get away from that. Right, right. And then I think people, you know, yeah. they hear the term legal and it's like, oh, well, there's going to be some code of ethics, some like, you know, there's going to be some structure to it. And it's like, just because it says legal does not mean that it's not completely abhorrent and just wrong. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, oh, it's legal. So it must be okay. 
Yeah, so, exactly. And I think that's a really, really insightful point because we, when we talk about the mindsets that we need to shift, one of them is that if it's legal, it's okay. And we make the point to people, hey, guess what? Slavery used to be legal. Right. So, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So it's like you don't own a human being. That's, that's, right. that's completely unacceptable. So yeah, it's, you're right. Yeah. A lot of things used to be legal, but are they okay and ethical? Absolutely not. <laughs> Didn't so. mean they were right. They were legal, but they weren't right. That's right. You can go through history and you see lots of examples of that. And the, we know that. And you know, when we talk to people, we know that. You know, in our lifetimes, I'd like to think. You know, my grandchildren would say, "Are you are you seriously telling me that they used to kill these animals to make a handbag or something?" Because they will go through that mindset. You know, they will go through that yeah. shift in mindset. I mean, we know how quickly that happens. So yes, let's not hide behind the fig leaf that just because it's legal, it's acceptable. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. again, you see that term or hear that term and it's like, oh, well, it can't be that bad. But then again, you look into it. It's like, no, it's worse than I thought, actually. They, uh, you know, electrocute them and, you know, clobber them in the head and, and, and keep them in a, in a box or whatever. So have you guys been able to infiltrate any of these farms or, you know, have someone maybe wear like a, Herm a nice Hermes like polo and be like, oh, I'm here from corporate, you know. <laughs> Pretend to be French. Uh, uh, I'm right, afraid exactly. not. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely get away with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have not. And, you know, to be honest, it's something we'd like because in, in, in the past, uh, Peter and others have done really good work where they've got some footage out of these industries and it's really helped. And, you know, the, the reality in animal welfare campaigning is that sometimes you actually just do need that kind of footage, you know. Right. You need that footage which says to people, hey, guess what? You can't look away from this. You can't look away from what I'm showing you here and you can't not do something about this. So, yeah, we'd love it. If someone wants to be a whistleblower and they're watching this pod right now, please get in touch with me. I'll do it. <laughs> these guys I have my work on my French. Yeah, but perfect. I'll work on my French and we'll, you know, I'll get a I'll, I'll nice, yep. yeah, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about arrangements after the show, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you're, that's so true though. Cause with the, I don't know if, how circ, if they had like wild animals and circuses in Australia, like the tigers, the lions, the elephants. Yep. So even here, Barnum and Bailey finally got, ex someone leaked a video of them, how they train their elephants. And it's just, yeah. I mean, it makes you just want to cry. Cause he's, he, the guy's literally saying, make them scream. And it's like, and you know they're just crying in pain and it's just it's 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 like a, a horrible movie you can't look away from but you know when it is in your face like that like you're saying and it's just like you can't look away from it and then it really makes you as like no i don't need to see an elephant in the circus that badly like no i'm good i don't if that's what they have to go through to walk in a stupid circle and you know sit on a stupid ball no not worth it not at yeah. all worth it that that's the torment and just blatant torture they have to go through but i think had that video not been leaked they probably would have still been having their elephants because they once that video was leaked they retired they were announced they were going to retire them what like 2016 2015 but they took them out of the show a year before they were planning their official retirement right. yeah yes, so i mean be. it really right so it really applied the pressure but you're, you're absolutely right i mean you probably do unfortunately have to really blow the lid off this thing and just you know like this is what's happening in our own backyard did you know this because i'm sure there's be many people where it's like i had no idea this was happening and there's much better use for land than abusing crocodiles, <laughs> as I can imagine. That's right. And can I, just to jump in on something, I think it's really important because I know anyone watching this who knows a bit about the Northern Territory would probably say something like, but hang on, you know, I thought crocodiles in the wild had once been endangered and as a result of farming, they therefore, their population numbers have recovered. And I think there's that... That's that whole sustainable use argument that in some cases, you know, we need to sustainably use populations of wild animals as a way of protecting them. Right. Mm -hmm. 
It's a crazy argument. And I really want to just knock that on the head if I can have a moment. Because Absolutely, please, please Territory, address it. Just not the case. You know, in the Northern Territory now, crocodiles are protected by law and they have been since 1971. The population now uh, has recovered to levels before hunting began. And, and to be clear, the hunting did drive them to the point where they were at risk of extinction, but that is no longer Eek. an issue. And funnily enough, just before we launched our campaign, uh, a national current affairs show did a story about crocodile numbers in the Northern Territory, and you actually had a figure associated with the farming industry saying, look, the numbers are getting so large now in the wild that we might actually have to reintroduce hunting or trophy hunting and the like. And they're like, well, hang on, you can't really have it both ways. You know, you can't really have a situation where you're, hey, the numbers are out of control, but we also need farming to protect them. But even aside yeah, no. from the jurisdictions like the Northern Territory, that sustainable use argument is just complete nonsense. And it's really disappointing you know, how many people who frankly should know better are promoted. The, the reality is if you want to protect an animal, protect it. Introduce laws right that protect its habitats and protect it in the wild and make sure that your uh, enforcement agencies have the resources they need to make sure those laws are actually effective. It really just is that simple. Now, people might say in some countries that's hard to do. Well, I would argue that in countries like ours, uh, we should be helping that effort in, in developing countries. Like, because quite frankly, as I said before, we know that if wild animals are suffering somewhere, that means that, you know, we are always at risk uh, and we need to be very clear about that. So we need to get away from this idea that you need to farm an animal. I mean, it would almost like, would anyone really suggest that, for example, in Australia, the only way we could protect crocodile, uh, koalas is to farm them? I mean, of course not. You know, it just, it just makes no sense. So what we really need to do is, you know, move away from this idea of sustainable use, which is just a fig leaf for the farming industry and a fig leaf for the profits that they make, and make it very clear. You introduce laws that protect animals. You make sure that the corporates who are involved, who have supply chains in which wild animals suffer, clean up those supply chains and, frankly, you know, move, as MS is doing, to the mushroom-based handbags. Uh, introduce the laws and enforce them. That's the way you protect wild animals. Absolutely. So I have to ask, is... Is that your government, like whether it's like, you know, state government, local government, or even on a, you know, federal level for you guys, are they getting any sort of like kickback from these companies coming in from France to then, you know, farm alligator, farm crocodiles? I mean, that's the only thing I can think of where it's like they have to be getting some sort of, I mean, that's how government works, unfortunately. If you have money, you can pretty much do whatever you want. So are they getting yeah. a nice handout in return on the back end? Um, or do you guys know that? It's not, you know, in Australia, I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's really, okay. um, it's a bit more simple. It's the, the reality is MS and Louis Vuitton turn up, they set up these farms, they employ local people, they generate wealth. And for our governments, that's good enough, you know, particularly the ah. Northern Territory economy. You know, the the okay. political economy of Australia is, is very focused on things like this. You know, essentially, if you turn up and say, okay, I will open a farm and employ 20 people and I will generate X millions of dollars, and, you know, then as far as they're concerned, great, let's let's facilitate that happening. And they, you know, oh. they make them jump through a few hoops, sort of a planning approvals and the like, and, you know, sort of get a consultant right. to develop some kind of environmental plan or something. But broadly, they're pretty minded to make sure that that kind of thing happens. We, as much as possible, attract foreign direct investment, and that's what Hermes and Louis Vuitton offer. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, for, that'd be great if our government was like, it's like, hey, we're just going to, well, sneak in under the guise of we're bringing jobs here and we're going to just generate a lot, of, a lot of revenue and pay taxes on them. And oh, okay, great. Come on in. Uh, that's, you know, it's a little bit more uh, involved than that uh, here. But oh, that makes sense. Because that was my other thing, too. It's like, how are they just able to, it seems like just kind of easily just come in and just establish roots and, yeah. you know, run you know 
just take a mile with whatever inch that they're given. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. Wow. Wow. And um, so I had another question too. Um, I saw that thing about like the, the, there was a huge discrepancy between like export skins that were like listed, but then like the amount of money that had come in or something like something was just very often one of those charts. Uh, could you kindly go into that exactly. a little bit more? Yeah. So it's an industry that really needs uh, a little bit more transparency than it has, let's say this, because the, the problem is that when you export uh, the skins and then also skin pieces, so for some reason those two things are different, um, the export and the import data doesn't always match up. So when we looked at the um, the Sadie's database, it was pretty clear, like countries to which we export, they said, right, this is how many skins we've imported from Australia, but we had, uh, recorded that we'd actually exported more or less, or, you know, the numbers just didn't add up as well. So it's really hard to get a clear picture. Uh, it's also difficult because the numbers are out of date. Australia hasn't uh, updated a CITES report for years now. So there's just that real lack of clarity about, you know, how much is being exported and to where and who's exporting it. So that's something which is a real concern for us because it, it just speaks to a broader lack of transparency around the industry. Right. And just a lack of care. I mean, there's had it, you know, if it were to be anything else, I'm sure they'd be like, okay, you, you're get, you know, you have a, an allotment of 10, whatever. Okay. You only received nine or you actually got 11. That means next year you can only get nine or whatever. Cause other industries, they kind of have those checks and balances. And it just seems like this is just kind of, all right, well, here's, here it is. And then that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, if I right. understand right. that correctly. Well, wow. If we have a number here, this is how many skins we've exported to, say, Singapore, and their numbers for how many we've imported from Australia are so different. Well, that's not that doesn't give Which you much faith in the system, full stop. But then also, where are those skins? So that's exactly right. And so that, like, you know, again, that lack of transparency doesn't speak very well about the system of monitoring as a whole. Absolutely. So now, will these skins go directly to France to be, you know? manufactured in a you know how they do the leather making process and treated and whatnot yeah, or do they start the process in australia no we just export the skins uh and oh, there's, wow. there's tanneries elsewhere and then they get made into the handbags that's right elsewhere and then they get shipped off to the high-end customers so that's how it's done wow wow but you know I it's, just, it's a big wealthy it's, it's awesome. a big wealthy industry I mean, the, the, the truth is that um when you Look at Hermes and Louis Vuitton, uh, you know, they, they really do make a lot of money out of these handbags. And the point we're making to them is, well, okay, you might be at the moment, but we all know that uh, consumer sentiment, you know, and community attitudes around these things are moving so quickly that you should get ahead of it. And in particular for the Northern Territory government, I mean, we were talking before about the fact that um, they're so supportive of these industries because of the jobs they create and the wealth they generate. But the fact is, in the future, that's not going to be the case. So really right. what the Northern Territory government should be doing is saying, all right, we know that an increasing number of brands are moving away from the use of exotic skins. We know that inevitably that will start to uh, sweep up the crocodile industry as well. And what we should be doing is saying, well, the people who are currently employed in crocodile farming and the wealth that is generated from crocodile farming, where is that coming from in the near future? Now, the good news in the Northern Territory is that they have a really wonderful tourism industry and a big focus of that tourism industry is wild crocs. You know, we went up there and went on a couple of these tours. There are just parts of Northern Territory that are breathtakingly beautiful and you can see crocodiles in the wild. And that is the kind of thing that we think the Northern Territory government should be supporting. And to be clear, it does support that part of the tourism industry, no question whatsoever. But in the future, right. 
we'd like to think that when people think of the Northern Territory and crocs, they're thinking about crocs living in the wild, not, not crocodiles sitting on a plastic lined enclosure somewhere out of Darwin waiting to be slaughtered. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's a very good point too, because, you know, because that day hopefully will come sooner rather than later where it's like, eh, you know what, we're not really doing the whole croc skin thing anymore. The market for it is just tanked. Then all, all those people that have jobs, what are they going to do next? It's like, okay, shut the farm down, let the crocs go. Like this is, it's, we're just going to cut our losses and move on. So yeah, the, it, then, then what? Now you've got, you know, a couple hundred people out of a job and that was the whole purpose of allowing you to be here and come here. And now you're not holding up your end of the deal. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Wow. It's an industry in decline and everybody knows it. So, you know, at the end of the day, smart governments plan so that as we transition out of declining industries, there's something else there to pick up the slack, to employ the people who were previously employed and to make sure that the economy doesn't take a hit as, you know, as these industries move on. And, and let's be clear also in the Northern Territory, you think about how vulnerable we are. So Louis Vuitton and, uh, and MS really dominate the industry in the Northern Territory. If just one of them said, yep, we're getting out of Crocs, we're moving on now, that would be devastating for that industry. You know, there's only two of them up wow. there really dominating. So you want to think about that. It only take one fashion house to say, to make a decision that others have made, to say we're going to move away from exotic skins and also crocodiles, and you'd have a real problem up there. So that kind of vulnerability is the kind of thing government should be managing and planning for. Uh, yeah, because when that day does, the day of reckoning comes, then it's gonna, everyone's going to be, you know, hello, Mr. Government, uh, you're supposed to be taking care of us and now no one has a job. So let's, you know, let's plan B. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is huge. So are you guys going to try to, um, I guess the, the new ranch that they're building or farm that they're trying to create, um, have you guys been able to go over there and see the new construction and whatnot or what they're doing? We saw it from the road. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, we saw it from the road. Um, there's not much to see, if you know what I mean. I mean, there's just guys sure. building the stuff. So we will we will certainly monitor that and continue it. It will take about five years to get up to full capacity. So we can intend to continue really pushing hard on this and at the very least stopping it getting up to full capacity because we would like to think sure. that in the next five years – the campaign that we are going to run with others internationally will really be the one which starts to blow the whistle on this industry and really starts to um, to make this industry realise that, okay, you know, the fashion industry, okay, crocodile skins is no longer socially acceptable and we've got to get out of it. Because you think about a big fashion house like Hermes, they make a lot of money out of these handbags, but it's not like it's their only product. And what we right. like to think is that we get to a point where MS realizes, look, other com other customers for their other products, you know, maybe the watch straps or the shoes, the ones you were talking about, are saying, I, I don't want to wear MS because it's such a tainted brand because of the crocodile farming. And so that's that's really what we want to make them see. You know, you have a, a broader suite of products out there and a bigger number of consumers, not all of whom can afford these handbags, but don't want to be associated with brands that are associated with animal cruelty. So that's what we'll be doing for the next five years. And we're pretty confident. You know, anecdotally, when we talk to people, we tell them about crocodile farming, we tell them about how many are used in one handbag, people are pretty appalled. And, of course, what helps is that, of course, you know, hardly anyone on this planet is ever going to afford one of these handbags. I mean, you really right. are talking about the 1% and a fraction of the 1%. So it's not like we're asking the average you know, consumer not to purchase something that they were going to purchase. That's, that's not what we're doing here at all. 
Right. Yeah. No, this is something that, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe two get made a year, if that, and, you know, or two actually get sold a year. And it's just, yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's your, it's an unnecessary luxury. It's like, just go buy a Ferrari like a normal person, you know, like, can you, or go buy a boat? Like, can you just do like a normal rich person thing, please? Yeah. <laughs> Donate to charity. God, there's an idea. Uh, yeah, right. Oh, wow. Weird. Hmm. Don't need actually helping out people. Uh, pay your taxes. Right, yeah, actually pay part. Yeah. Pay your fair share of tax. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you could be doing and spending that money on. So <laughs> us here in the States and in general, and actually it's funny you say that because um, I was actually looking at getting a little Louis Vuitton bag or something. And then once I read the article and I was like, oh, they do Croc skins. I was like, I no longer want this because just exactly because of the association. It's just kind of like, Oh, it's ruined it for me. They, they, you know, Louis Vuitton makes Croc skin bags. It's like, I don't want, because even though I'm not buying the Croc skin directly, me purchasing from them still gives them money to then go do that. So, yeah. And that's the other thing too, is like, even if you're not actually buying the crocodile skin product by buying other products from these brands, you are still supporting that in essence. So, which I think people don't realize as well. Like, well, I'm not buying the, the crocodile thing. It's like, it doesn't matter though, because they're still going to do it if they have the money to do it so right so here in the states and i guess in europe canada and everywhere else in the world what can we do besides um i mean in addition to educating ourselves what what can we do to help and get the word out there okay well the first thing i would say is um you know don't buy anything from a mess and louis vuitton and don't buy anything from a fashion house uh, that uses animal skins and make it really clear why you're not going to do that that's the first thing uh, you know, that's critical. At the end of the day, if there is no demand for these products, they will not be made. It, it yeah. really is not clear. And like, as we said, it's not like anyone on this podcast is about to, you know, it's not like I've just told you, no, you can't now go out of the house and spend $300,000 on an Hermes handbag, but, you know, on a Birkin. But obviously, as you said, there are other things that you do not buy. And there are other fashion houses uh, which might use animal skins, but also do produce products that are more affordable for average consumers. Don't buy them. And make it clear to those fashion houses why you're not going to buy them. Go beyond that. Communicate that to them. You know, communicate through their social media channels. Send them a letter. Uh, you know, drop in a letter to the store, whatever it's going to be, just to make sure they get it. Because the more communication they get from consumers that I'm not going to buy your products because you have animal skins, uh, you know, exotic animal skins and wild animal products in your supply chains, the more we accelerate the move away from using wild animal products. So that's absolutely critical. Next thing, talk to family and friends about it. You know, we know that that kind of peer-to-peer -peer communication is really, really important. Quite frankly, um, your family is probably going to be much more convinced by these arguments if they come from you than if they just watch me saying it on a podcast. You know, they don't know me. Uh, and we, right. we know that. I mean, family and friends are really critical to help change norms and shift mindsets. So we'd really encourage people to do that. You know, just sometimes it's hard, but have the courage to say, well, no, I don't, you know, I would never buy a product from that company because they use exotic animals or animal products, wild animal products. And I think that's cruel and, uh, and I'm not prepared to support that. You know, do that. Yeah, Set those kind of norms. absolutely. Absolutely. And then lastly, absolutely, absolutely you know, make sure that uh, whoever your elected representatives are know that you want them to be doing something about this. I mean, for example, in the uh, US at the moment, uh, there is talk of uh, a ban on the import of kangaroo uh, skins. Yes, Kangaroo Australia. Act 21. Yes. Right. yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Now, I mean, you know, if yes. uh, if you've got a representative, well, of course you have a representative in Congress, make sure that you know that they expect him or her to support that, to support that bill, you know. 
I mean, I've worked in politics before and the simple reality is an elected official, you know, knows that if they're getting a lot of uh, communication about a certain issue, that issue becomes more important to them. You know, they're more likely to make sure they know about it, to investigate it, to uh, take a position on it, to do something Absolutely. about it. So that kind of stuff, I think people sometimes feel like it's sort of like, oh, it's a bit of a waste of time or it's just screaming into a hurricane. It's really not. You know, it's it's that kind of basic grassroots stuff that's actually really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Got it. Sam, anything to add? No, I just, I, I just like to hear you talk about this because it is very important and um, very disgusting business practices. So I'm glad that we did this because I don't think a lot of people really think about think about the animals like that that suffer and and are what they're put through and how their quality of lives are just nothing. Sam, I can barely hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I can oh, barely see, hear sorry. You. Oh, there might be something wrong with my thing. Isn't that better? Okay. Yeah, that's all. It's just, I'm just glad we're talking about this. Yeah, yeah great. Me too. And I'm, I'm really happy that you've asked us to come and talk about it because, you know, we need to talk about this stuff more, about all the animals Absolutely. suffering for these kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, you, you're right. But just wildlife trade in general, there's just no need for it. I mean, they're really, they're, there really is. I, I I don't see any just. I, me personally, I don't see any justifiable need for it at this point. Just Absolutely. for how far we've come, and just you know, with the potential of disease. I mean, if you think about it, like I'm sure you guys have quarantine laws as well. But I mean, if I were to bring my dog to Hawaii, he would have to be quarantined in a special vet's office for two weeks, and that's just bringing a dog in, and that's a domestic animal. But meanwhile, we'll just you know, here's a kangaroo, here's a pangolin, here's a crocodile, and it's just kind of like. The, that discrepancy there is is very alarming as well because it's like I you know my dog has to sit in quarantine for two weeks to get into Hawaii but you can just send a pangolin you know a, to China or to you know India or Africa and it's kind of just like all right yeah cool just send in, send a pangolin skin nothing no big deal here which is just mind-boggling when uh, like in that perspective which I'm now realizing how ridiculous that sounds like domestic animals have to be quarantined but I can just, you know, ship, you can just ship me a croc skin, no problem, <laughs> which is insane. It, it, yeah, that, that just really blows my mind. But thank you so much for educating us on this. I'm very excited for you guys. I will work on my French and we might have to, maybe I can, yes, maybe I can find an Hermes polo. I mean, I do skills. live close to LA, so I'm sure I could find something in a dumpster somewhere that was like thrown out <laughs> or, you know, just get one of their shopping bags and refashion it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that'd be great if you guys could really, in, I don't want to say infiltrate, but get even more just like stuff on them and just, you know, put it out there. Cause that's the thing too, is they probably, I feel like they're also probably banking on that as well as that. No one's going to take the time to look under the curtain in this instance. Oh, do I, I mean, do they, I feel like that's also part of the mindset too, is that no one's actually kind of like the Wizard of Oz, no one's actually going to pull the curtain back and take a look behind the curtain in this, you know, it's just it's like, oh, it's a crocodile, like, eh. I think that's right. I think people are probably, you know, not really thinking about the bigger picture around this right. kind of stuff. And I think that's, that's essentially what we're trying to do, you know, and also though, having said that, the smaller picture, like, yeah, okay, it's a crocodile, but I tell you what, if you electrocute it, uh, and you cut its nape and then destroy its brain with a spanner or something, it will suffer horribly like any other animal would for that kind of treatment. And you just can't justify it on that level alone. 
And then when you look at all the other reasons around why this industry is just so bad, yeah, it's impossible to uh, to actually deal with it and, you know, the, to, to support it. And the, the point you were making before about, you know, thinking, oh, you're right, okay, here's my dog or other animals. I think a lot of what we find is that there's a sense in which people just don't really think about these things much, but when you make them, there is that sense of, yeah, I've never thought about that, just like you were saying yourself. Yeah, I've never thought about that, but now you pose the question or now you put it that way, it starts to lead to the kind of shifts in mindset that we really need. And so that's what we're Right, trying. right, and the certain things aren't adding up that, you know, seem to at first glance add up, but then when you stop and think about it, it's like, no, A plus C does not equal F, actually, so we need to kind of review what's going on here. Absolutely. And just, just thank you for, and WAP for everything that you guys do. I mean, it's just, do you guys have a branch in the U S? Sure do. Okay. okay. World Animal Protection. Um, what would it be? Dot all backslash us. I'm pretty sure. We've got some great for you guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> we for you guys anyway, so that's okay. They're doing great work. Our American office is fantastic. They're doing really, really good stuff on everything from uh, pet trading, uh, through to uh, meat reduction campaigning and the like. It's really, really good stuff. Oh, fantastic. And that's, you should have yeah, them that's on. so great. We should. We should. We'll be like, well, you know, we kind of like your Australian counterparts a little bit better, but yeah, we can, <laughs> you can come on too. <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much, Ben. We won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your time, and we thank hope to have you. you back on again. Yeah, um, really where, yes, where can we, where can our listeners find you guys? Um, where okay. can we it's a big yeah, long URL. Your stuff. Go to worldanimalprotection.org.au and you will find information about this campaign and we hope you support it. Absolutely. And we will post all sorts of links to this and more literature and information. Absolutely Please. when this episode comes out. Um oh yeah, absolutely. And um yes, thank you as always for listening. Sorry, my dad had an emergency their water heater is leaking, so it's a little bit of an emergency, so that's why he had to run off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, can't really have a flood in the garage. <laughs> so he's going to be bummed. He unfortunately had to deal with that emergency, but I'm sure we'll have you back on again, Ben. You're, you're always a pleasure to have. We love having you and your just your knowledge and your passion. I mean, that's our big thing here too. It's just, it's nice to just hear and see the passion in other people about animals and just other causes and not in like that condescending, like holier than thou way, just kind of like here's the reality of the situation. And I think we all can agree it's wrong and we should try to change it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you. I love being on the show and uh, I, I hope to be so again. And hopefully next time we talk, I can uh, report some progress on this issue. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. You can find us on Instagram, Just Animals Pod, YouTube now. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube. Uh, send us an email. Send us any questions you might have for Ben or uh, WAP. And we hope to see you guys next week. Have a great evening or have a great rest of your day for those of you on the other side of the world in Australia and New Zealand. Bye, now. Bye everyone. Well, Otto, do you approve of this week's episode? <laughs>